0: I'm Anthony Walsh and this is the Roadman Podcast, the show where we empower you with the tools to optimize your health, your happiness, and your longevity. Unless you've had your head in the sand, you will have seen that online cycling platforms, they're starting to become more and more popular. There's a few reasons. Firstly, we're all increasingly busy, so it's a great use of our time. The training effect, working indoors, is amazing. Secondly, the roads are so dangerous. They're more dangerous than ever in my opinion. It seems like every time I go out the door, there's another close pass. And an element I didn't expect was the social components. I can connect and I can ride with friends in other countries. I can reconnect with some of my old teammates from Canada and we can do these virtual rides together, which just wouldn't have been possible years ago. Today, I chat with Matthew Smithson from My Woosh. Matt is one of the key figures who's pushing e-cycling forward and today we chat about what the future of indoor cycling looks like. Here's a little taste of what awaits you today.
1: My favorite claim to fame was I think i would won an A-grade club race level race in Sydney every year for like it was 29 years in a row or something. I won at least one (laughs) race. That's pretty solid like you know, it's always the same. I'll, I'll travel somewhere and I'm looking at what bike do they have in the gym? Do I, I, don't ever leave home without my seat, my shoes and my pedals, right? Cause who knows what you're gonna end up riding. <laughs> and on day one, she did two kilometers. That's all she could do. Let's fast forward now, Well, what we've got nearly 10 years and, and 80,000 kilometers of indoor riding. She doesn't ride right outdoors, only rides indoors, only. And things we're weird. Because we want to
0: ride outside. Mars, welcome to the Roadmine Podcast. Thanks very much. Glad to be here. How are you, buddy?
1: Yeah, yeah, not too bad at all. A little bit tired, working hard here and a few things going on with riding bikes and whatever. i looking forward to talking about them.
0: Yeah, you've been riding bikes a long time.
1: Yeah, what are we going now? I started when I was 13. I'm now 47. What's that? 33, 34 years.
0: How many of those years have you been competitive racing, actually putting in, you know, structure training weeks? Yeah,
1: probably 33 of those years. (laughs) Most of the time, I I sort of started out racing as a kid, Um, grew up with a couple of guys that went on to be pretty good professionals and wearing jerseys and things in Tour de France and stuff like that, living in Parramatta in Sydney. And just like riding my bike, whether I was good at it, bad at it, whatever it is, I still love doing it. I still am one of those guys that, um, unfortunately, work and family get in the way of riding my bike. So, and, um, you know, you, you get old, you still think you're as fast as you once were. You're not. Last year was the least amount of kilometres I think I've probably ever done. Unfortunately, it was like 12,000. But yeah, keep punching away. I don't think I'll ever stop doing it. they will take the bike off me when I can't get on it anymore.
0: Yeah, It's something I'm kind of... I'm trying to reconcile this in my head at the moment. I've been probably riding nowhere near as long as you, uh, 15 years since I started in college. I started kind of late. I always had an interest when I was younger. My dad was into cycling. He kind of fixed up bikes. He was in the army and he fixed up bikes in the evening and sold them for a bit of extra cash. So my earliest memories are trying to, you know, unstick a seat post in the family shed down the back of the garden with some proper old school child labor, you know, six years of age, he's screaming at me to take a link out of the chain. But I didn't get into cycling really till I was in university. So I'm about 15 years, I would say, of kind of structured training and trying to get better at cycling. And I suppose I have this annual debate and I'm kind of having it myself at the moment again, where I'm like, yeah, should I just try something different? Like, should I, you know, should I be going skiing in the winter? Should I be you know, lacing up the runners and going for a run because I, I'm doing the same thing again. I'm going back to the same races, going back to the same events. And so I was like, am I missing out on a whole world of stuff here by doing the same thing year after year? Like, how do you kind of reconcile that and double down each year to keep going again?
1: I really have, it's not easy, I'll be honest, um, especially as you get slower as you get older um, and you can't do what you once could do on a bike. And, and I'm not claiming that I'm professional or anything like that. Like, my favorite claim to fame was I think I'd won an A-grade club race level race in Sydney every year for like it was 29 years in a row or something. I won at least one <laughs> That's race. pretty solid, like. Yeah, yeah. And I kept I kept going there. And then last year I didn't win one. Um, and that was the first year that I just, you know, you're just not competitive where you were. You do the same training. But for me, it's just like I, I probably only had half a dozen races last year. And it, it, a lot of times it's been about racing and I really struggled with that. And I struggled with anxiety is not the right word, but I always struggled for when I was about 42 or 43 to go, when's the day that I'm not good enough at this level anymore? Does that make sense? Like when is all yeah. the effort and not seeing family and not doing your work as well as you can and all of those things, when does that sort of start to go, well, I just let everyone down because I didn't finish the race or all those types of things. And so I sort of really struggled with that with racing but it was funny, when I stopped doing as much racing, I started doing more and more training. So to me, it's not really even about racing my bike. It's just I've come to the realisation it's just what I do. I've come to the realisation it's just the best sport in the world. I quite often say to my wife, and, and this is a bit of an awful thing to say, but if I ever if something happens to me out training, I have a heart attack or I unfortunately get hit by a car or something, said, don't blame the sport because without the sport, I wouldn't have all of these things that I have today. I, I, you know, I've got health, I'd be some grumpy guy working in a factory somewhere probably, but cycling given me the confidence, it's introduced me to people, it's taken me around the world. Like I was in Egypt a week or two ago for work um, with some things there where we sponsored, uh, did some sponsorship stuff over there. And I'm like, how does a guy from Western Sydney who jumped on a bike at 13 <laughs> end up in Egypt because of cycling, right, and not racing a bike? So for me, it's easy to stay motivated. I just like doing it. And I try running. I've tried that every year. I try to go for a run about this time. And I think two runs is about my record till my calf tears and it's all over.
0: You know what happened to me last year for the first time? So I've been riding for roughly 15 years. I've ridden full time. I still have a Cat 1 license in Ireland, but maybe like you, last year was the first year I didn't win a race in God knows how long. Didn't even win a club league race. Now I didn't race that much And so I'm still kind of thinking, oh, numbers are still quite good. So I can still in my head do this kind of dance, like, oh, if I race more, maybe I would have won. But the reality is it's black and white. I didn't win a race. But towards the end of the season, I had an experience which was humbling. And it's been something that's given me so much gratitude since. I went with a friend who's just retired as pro. And we tried to do one of these FKTs, the fastest known time. So we have a trail here that's like 12 and a half hours long, gravel trail. And I was like, right, we're going to go. and we're going to knock that record down. And, you know, we knock, no one good has ever really gone at the record. So we took a lot of time off the record and we're coming over the last climb. And we just started that, you know, that inevitable half wheel and over the last climb, we know we're there and we know we're just going to, one of us is getting drops and there's bragging rights back at the coffee shop at the very end of the ride. So we're, we're doing this and, So we go full over the climb, and as you'd expect going full gas over the climb, my heart rate's, you know, it's high. It's close to max heart rate, especially if you factor in dehydration on a 12-hour plus day and stuff. But I get to the top of the climb, and my Garmin is in power save mode, so I can't see it anymore. You know the way it turns off when your battery's getting low? But I feel like I've made a max effort. Now I'm on the descent, and it's a 5K descent, but I still feel like I'm making a max effort. And I'm like, oh, this is weird. I've never experienced this before. And then it's 2K into the coffee shop at the end. And we're just riding easy, chatting, going, oh, that was kind of a good day. But I'm I'm still feeling like I'm full gas. I'm like, this is a weird sensation. So I stop at the coffee shop. I press save. And it says, new max heart rate detected 224. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, what the fuck? I've never hit a 224 in my life. And so I don't even say anything to him. I'm just like, okay, like that could have been earlier in the ride or it could have been a glitch or something. So I save the file and I restart a new file so I can see the heart rate. And I'm standing there at the coffee shop at still 218 beats. And I'm like thinking to myself, like I don't even say anything. I'm like, this is where it ends. Like we're so far in the wilderness. There's no calling an ambulance here. This is like, this is where it ends. And I sat there for guts of a half an hour until my heart rate came down. And then call a friend. He's like, look, that don't sound good. He, he was a doctor. He's like, you need to get into a cardiac consultant like ASAP. So I'll get in there as soon as I can the next morning. And like going to sleep that night, I was literally like, I'm not going to wake up tomorrow. Like the first time I've ever had a thought to my own mortality. And I go in there and anyway, they run a bunch of tests, stress tests, all this. And he says, "Now look, it was massive dehydration and a viral infection. You could have had COVID or something and you didn't realize and it spiked your heart rate. But for the first time I was faced with in that waiting room going, what's my life look like if I can't ride ever again? Yeah, And it's a weird feeling. It's like to have something that I wasn't sure I still needed in my life. I'm like, oh, do I need cycle? I feel like I've I've definitely gone as far as I can go. I'm not going to win a bigger race than I've won. My And I was like, do I need it? And I, I was unsure about that until someone said to me briefly, no, it's gone. You can't do it anymore. And then it's like, oh, I really miss it. Even though I haven't lost it. Yeah. hundred percent. You know exactly how you feel. Yesterday I
1: had a long day here at work and I literally rode the four kilometres home just so I can ride my bike, right? And, and what do you do without it? Um, I've had a mate, similar situation here where he can't ride anymore um, out of what happened with him. Um, and so he's just decided not to tell the doctor he's not riding his bike and he's just running, right? So uh, to me, I don't know whether it's about riding the bike or is it this ability to continue to push? Is that what we like? I don't know what it is, but you know, it's always the same. I'll, I'll travel somewhere and I'm looking at what bike do they have in the gym. Do I, I don't ever leave home without my seat, my shoes, and my pedals, right? Because who knows what you're going to end up riding. <laughs> like, you, you just do these things over the years. Like I've got, I've got this horrible, i ride those Adamo twin prong seats. Um, and I've got this beat up, battered one that comes everywhere. I've um, got an old pair of shoes and an old pair of speed play pedals. And they just get, that's the first thing that gets packed because you never know when you're going to get the opportunity to ride a bike. So.
0: World men, I know how serious you take your goal setting, whether they're fitness or life-related goals. If you're looking for a powerful ally to support you on this journey, look no further than Huel. Huel has become my secret weapon for when I don't have time to prepare a balanced meal, ensuring I get the nutrition I need without sacrificing time or taste. Plus, it stops me from reaching for the takeaway menu. I always throw a bottle into my backpack when I'm heading into the city to work and it stops me eating croissants and junk food, you know, just generally stuff that don't support my training goals. It's handy and it's nutritious and it's over 22 grams of protein. Heal is perfect for athletes who don't have time to cook or prepare food before a training session. It's convenient, nutritious fuel at your fingertips, ensuring you hit your daily fueling needs for your session. Huel Ready to Drink has over 26 vitamins and minerals in every single bottle. You're getting a whopping 175 health benefits. Plus, they're all natural ingredients, stuff like Topeka, sunflower seed, coconut, and more. And the best part, the flavors are amazing. Eight mouth-watering flavors. Iced coffee is in my backpack at the moment. You can get your hands on Huel ready to drink directly to your home just by going to Huel.com forward slash Roadman. That's Huel, H-U-E-L.com forward slash Roadman. When does it become unhealthy though? I had Yanni Brakovich on the podcast a while ago, and Yanni actually felt that he had a cycle and addiction in the way we'd interpret an addiction like, you know, you know, anyone that has an addiction whether alcohol or drugs, not a positive thing. It wreaks havoc through their life. He looks back on his cycling like that for him.
1: Yep, I think that I think that we all have it to a point, and I think you find that most of us, when we get together and have a beer, all are the same. It's it's all the same sort of people. It's why we keep coming back to it. It's yeah. You, know, you think about it. You your mates with the same guys for years and years and years that are doing this sport, and they've got the same view on things. And 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 whether it's an addiction, whether your body gets used to it, I, I don't know what it is, but I, I quite often think a lot of us. people that would be doing this with some other sport or something else but we tend to stick to the one sport like I I go through friends that I know that have taken up riding later in life and you talk to their wives and they're like oh yeah here we go again and I'm like what do you mean well before this they were doing 12 hours a week of golf and then before that (laughs) they were playing in seven basketball teams and and whatever those things were so I think it's part of maybe an addictive personality um, trait towards the exercise or the sport. But for me, it's not even just about that. I love the bikes. I love the technology. I love the nostalgia. I love the indoor training, the outdoor training, all of the things that go around it yeah. I'm interested in. But I've always made a rule of I'm not going to let it get in front of family and, and things like that. So, you know, my, I've not missed my kids playing soccer or, or, you know, whatever it is that they do, I'll go training it. Yeah, 4.35 o'clock in the morning and home for that. Maybe I'm grumpy and tired when I shouldn't be, but I've certainly always, I've not pushed it to that level.
0: Yeah, I I speak to and I try and delve into this question as much for an answer for myself as listeners quite a bit. And one of the best answers I've got to it as to why we ride, it's like, because of what's the alternative? Like if you don't ride, Matt is a different Matt. Like you're a different person. You're not the person that your wife met. You're not the person that your kids love. You're a different version of you. And it's like, so there almost is no alternative to the, to the life we live. Yep. I'm exceptionally overweight and I'm
1: tired and cranky all the time. And yeah, I, I know exactly what I'm like when I, when I don't ride. Um, I think the longest I've gone without riding in in 30 odd years is like six days or seven days. It's, um, <laughs> you know, I just keep doing it because I know what happens. There's been times where it's only been 100K a week, don't get me wrong. But yeah, I, my wife says to me, sometimes you need to go for a ride. So she sort of knows how it all fits together. But, yeah, I think there's plenty of us. And, and as I always say, the best part about the sport and even about this, you don't have to be good at it to be like us. I'm not that good at it. Um, there's pretty people better than me or not as good as me but that feel the same. It's this real equaliser and we get on a bike, we're all equal. We all, you know, can you can be riding with somebody that's the Prime Minister of Australia one day and, you know, someone that's at a lower-level job the next day. And because we're riding together, we're all the same person, right? So there's not a lot of sports that are like that. And the only real hierarchy in it is, you know, the fitter and the better the guy on the bike, he just decides where the ride's going, right? That's about as far as it goes with us. So, yeah, there's all that sort of stuff that you love with it as well, which is very different to, I suppose, lots of other sports. But I've noticed over the years I've started to do more and more stuff riding by myself than in groups. Um, I don't know whether that's just an age thing or I don't know people like I used to. I'm not sure, but... Uh, it's, i'm gonna keep doing it put it
0: that way it's funny you talk about that riding with anyone uh, a couple of years back there's there's a group of my friends and they're not in they're not cyclists at all by any definition they've never done a sportif even from some of these lads at best it's maybe an excuse to get away from the missus for the weekend so they say they're going on a cycling trip so there's a group of them and there's maybe 10 of them but they're super casual cyclists now i can't emphasize how casual they are they wouldn't do an hour a week And they do this kind of annual trip around Ireland. So they go day one, day two, and they're kind of winding their way down the coast. But some of them have come in from the US and some of them are friends of friends. So everyone in this group doesn't know each other. So I arrive on maybe the fifth day of this trip and I chat to one of the American lads. And I was like, oh, good spin today. He's like, ah, not really. Like there was only me and one other lad. I was like, all right, what happened? He's like, oh, well, we all went out on the piss the night before. So everyone was hung over. Then we woke up and it was pouring rain. I was like, oh, who are you riding with? And he's like, I don't know, some lad, It's, it's probably a farmer or something. Uh, you know, he's he didn't look, you know, super kind of slick, super city, that kind of New York look that, you know, my American buddy was used to. And it transpires that the guy who'd popped in that he was riding with all day was actually the Prime Minister of Ireland, the Taoiseach over here. Yeah. <laughs> and he had no idea. But it's just like, I was to underpin that. You can be yeah. riding with absolutely anybody. And if they don't have, you know, you don't wear it. $20,000 suit and watch when you're on the bike. Everyone looks the same. No, exactly.
1: Exactly. We had the guy that went on to be Prime Minister, uh, uh, Premier of New South Wales, uh, an area in um, Australia. Um, he used to live in my garage as a teenager. He was a bike rider. <laughs> he lived he lived 100 kilometers away. So he, in between um, his university lectures, we lived halfway and there was a place you could ride quite safely where I lived. And so he'd keep all his stuff at my house and sleep on the floor three days a week. And you just don't realise who it's going to be as you as you get older and, and learn and, and meet different people. And I think that's the best part about the sport, to be honest. And it's accessible to to just about everyone.
0: What's the biggest changes you've noticed in 35 years, riding? Uh,
1: look, I think the acceptance since, the, I suppose I call it the Armstrong era um, of more people like you and I, I, I suppose adapted more Westerners, adapted to the sport. It became a little bit more... Um, a little bit more trendy like I I remember a day when I didn't know a person that had a racing bike apart from the guys that I raced or trained with right now everyone I know seems to have a racing bike or a mountain bike or or whatever it is so the acceptability I suppose of the sport is is certainly the biggest change that I've seen um I've seen you know lots of stuff come and go with bikes and technologies and, and all that sort of stuff and the bikes we have today are just absolute monsters of things like yeah they're just indestructible I'm I'm riding an S5 Cervelo now. That's four years old. It's done 70,000 k, and it's like brand new. I Trying to do that on an old aluminium bike with down tube shifters—it just, yeah, all this stuff around steels, real, and, and all of this. It's just what we what we have today, technology-wise, is huge. And and how much faster we ride. Like I remember, if we used to average forty k an hour with some of the best guys in the world in a criterium or something, that was fast. Now, D-grade, do 40k an hour. Let's say
0: it's country car guys are averaging 40k an hour an hour.
1: Yeah. Y- your shoes are stiffer, your socks are aero, your bike's faster, your helmet's faster, your gloves are tighter. Like, it's just this accumulation of all of these things. Like, I'm faster now than I ever have been, except up a climb, of course. So, you know, there's that change. And then there's the big change of the indoor cycling realm. And I, I really, I, I love, so firstly, I work in indoor cycling, of course, but I just love that it gave a different aspect and accessibility to the sport. Like, I used to hate having a day off my bike because it was raining. So, you know, I'd ride rollers or an A frame trainer in the garage and I'd, you know, hate myself and hate my life for an hour and that sort of stuff. But then staring at the wall. Yeah, I remember that. Like, you'd sit there. I don't know about you, but we always used to do five minute efforts. And it was like that was one song on a record player for me, right? A vinyl record player
0: was one song and then about a minute of a hurting. I used to try and read the letters on the paint can backwards, so I'd have paint cans in the shed. So the past the time I'd try and read the titles backwards.
1: I used to have a couple of songs that I knew were four minutes long and I'd I'd count to 60 seconds and then in the effort I'd lift the needle onto the record player and drop it (laughs) down because I knew, yeah, I got that first minute out of the way. But they were they were torrid times, right? But you knew that there was something in it. Even even thirty years ago, we, you knew that it made you faster, it made you stronger, and and then where it's come through all the evolutions of that into you know the a frame trainer, out of your rollers uh, into magnetic, and then fan force stuff into the smart trainers and the stuff in the early days that that trainer road did was like I can follow a line on a screen, like wow, right and you know, and then into into the online platforms and, and the ability to build communities and to race and, and to do all that stuff. It's just, it, it, it's, I think it's given longevity to the sport for a lot of people, me included, because I don't know how much I'd do without it. Um, but I also think that it's, it's changed racing uh, in the real world dramatically as well. So yeah, there's lots of stuff with it.
0: I think also there's, you mentioned Armstrong, and I think that was one of the inflection points for it almost democratized cycling It went from being, because this is a pre-internet age as well. Like, I didn't know how to find my local cycling club when I was a student, and that's wild for people who are younger than 30 listening to. I didn't know where this group of people met up, and now on the internet, no matter how weird your hobby, if you're into, you know, dressing up as a lizard, there's a group of people on the internet that like dressing up as lizards, and it's easy to find them. It wasn't easy to find other people who had your hobby back in the day. Now it's super easy. So Armstrong really democratized that. But what I'm seeing as well is I'm a big YouTube consumer. I love listening to YouTube, watching YouTube stuff, doing instead of Netflix all day long. We're seeing this huge move now to this. They're calling it zone two training. You know, any cyclist has known what this is for, you know, 15, 20 years. It's just, it's gone for your easy ride. But we're seeing a really fashionable move with like, you know, Dr. the Patrick, Peter Atia, Andrew Huberman, all talking about this importance of indoor training. And the wildest thing has happened. Like my neighbors who chain smoke and they drink, you know, five nights a week, functional alcoholics by most definitions. They're starting to talk about, oh, hey, I downloaded my whoosh or I'm on a Watt bike and I'm doing some zone two work. And you're like, what is going on? But there's a whole new, <laughs> Type of person getting into this sport for longevity reasons?
1: Yeah, no, look, this certainly is, and I'll tell a quick story about my wife. So, my wife is a she's a PE teacher at school, so she understands sport. Don't get me wrong, but she's never ridden the bike, never at all. We've been to Tour de Frances and watched them. She's been all around the place watching me in the rain and the cold racing bikes. Never, never had the inclination to do much of it at all. um Got quite ill, had blood clots in her lungs. Um, on blood thinners, all this type of stuff, and she got up one morning after a year in bed being ill and, and, and trying to recover. She said, I can't live like this. I, I, I want you to set up the, that trainer over there. I want to ride a bike. Can you put a bike together for me? And on day one, she did two kilometres. It's, it's all she could do. Let's fast forward now, well, what have we got, nearly 10 years and, and 80,000 kilometres of indoor riding. She doesn't ride outdoors, only rides indoors, only. And things were weird because we want to ride outside. So she's on these she's on platforms. Um, she knows people. She's made friends around the world. Yeah, loves it. Like thinks we're mental for riding outside. So there's plenty of those people out there too.
0: Yeah, and you know what? The way, I'm not sure what it's like over uh, where you're where you're living in, in of between, are you between us and UAE or are you full-time in UAE? No, I'm full-time in UAE now. I live in Abu Dhabi. What's the traffic situation like over there? I know in Ireland now it's getting combative between cyclists oh, and drivers. Well, don't start
1: me about Sydney. Like Sydney's a point where you really you know you can't ride now if you want to um, be safe on the road. If you're not riding a path or a park, you're in big trouble. But it's really amazing here. It's, it's bizarre. It's a bizarre world, right? Abu Dhabi is just the best place. And the problem here is most of the roads are six or eight lane freeways. So it's, it's, it's sort of a long, thin place. Um, and you've got sort of two or three main freeways, and then you only have roads that are 500, 800 metres long that crisscross the freeways, so you constantly jump onto a freeway. So it's a little bit difficult to ride and not be on the freeway here, but when you're riding, the people are just not used to bike riders on the road because it's quite a new thing here.
0: Yeah. And
1: they give you literally three lanes wide they go around. they terrified. And, 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 yeah, they're terrified to, to hit you. Um, which is very different to on Presuming Island and Sydney. Um, but what's great here is they realize that it's not something you're used to and it can be difficult with all the freeways. Well, there is some road riding you can certainly do, certainly once you get out of Abu Dhabi there's yeah, you know, Jubelka Fett Climb and all those places. But they've built all these um, places to ride. Like you can ride the Yas Formula One circuit every day of the week.
0: That's unreal.
1: Like five and a half K laps, and some nights there's three and four thousand people riding around there. There's Hederian Island, which I think now is 10 or 11 kilometres a lap. There's all these internal laps. They're making it bigger. There's um, Alwathba, which is about a 20-minute drive from here, and it's a 40k lap, I think it is, and there's hills out the back of it. So they're really – cycling here actually is really easy. you just got to jump in your car sometimes to do it, but then you've got the summer and the heat, and so that's where indoor cycling just becomes – it's, it's really the only way for a couple of months a year that you can ride. And I think that's certainly one of the reasons why my wish should have started and kicked off. It's something that people could use here for free um, and that, you know, it, it got you out of that, that heat in the summer.
0: For the first time in years, I have really big targets that I'm super passionate about this summer. And although the warmer months are approaching, I don't want to slip into that trap I see so many riders falling into, just riding around with no focus and no aim with their friends simply because the good weather is starting to arrive. I'm still using my Watt bike almost daily to keep me sharp and on point with specific sessions all the way into my target events, Rift, Migration Gravel, and Leadville later this summer. That's why I'm really happy to be partnering with Wattbike. The Wattbike Adam, it's sitting next to the desk in the recording studio, and if I have an hour between interviews, I jump on. It's removing all those friction points for me. No more 10-minute setup, unfolding legs, banging my knees off stuff. Connection issues. It just works every single time. The Adam is perfect for riding Swift because it has those crisp gear changes. Boom, boom. power accuracy and max gradient capability of 25%. If only my legs had a max gradient capability of 25%. Even if I'm riding those steepest climbs on Witopia, it's absolutely fine. I'm actually riding that custom gearing setup. So if I'm riding a particularly hilly route, I'll select a more climbing suitable gear ratio. It's the business. If you're looking for an indoor trainer, if you're looking to stay sharp this summer and not lose that hard-earned fitness over the winter, I couldn't recommend the bike setup Any higher. It's the last indoor trainer you're ever going to need. Head on over to whatbike.com now and check out their full range. A few years ago, I saw a huge gap in the market for an app that was like a cycling coach, but in your pocket. I knew that AI was ultimately going to be the best coach in the world, and I spent about two years of my life trying to make this app happen. Unfortunately for me, it didn't happen. But ever since then, I've kept a really close eye on this space to see if anyone else could succeed where I failed. The Breakaway app caught my attention a couple of months ago because Christian Vandervelde, yep, the Christian Vandervelde who came forth in the Tour de France, is one of the co-founders. And it seems that the breakaway have created the ultimate cycling training companion and they're bringing low-cost coaching to the masses. You'll know from listening to the podcast that my pet peeve is when cyclists head out the door with no plan, no goal, and just roll around without an objective. Don't be that guy! The Breakaway app looks at all your historic training data and it builds a plan around your strengths and weaknesses so you're always going to have the perfect session. They also have integrations which I'm really excited about, Whoop and Aura Ring. The reason I've previously ditched my wearables is because the data just wasn't informing my training. No longer the case head on over to roadmantrial.com and you can download their app for free. That's roadmantrial, roadmantria com and download the app for free. The link to this is in today's show notes. I think most of us arrived to indoor cycling during the pandemic. And it's quite interesting because maybe you in the industry seeing the evolution of these products where it's like it's getting better iteration after iteration but most of us kind of arrived at the finished product the first time i think i had i I think the first time i'd ever done an indoor ride on a virtual platform was probably the start of the pandemic because you know we get we don't really get summers and winters we've kind of a mild climate all year round you know it might be go down to two or three degrees but still plenty warm for riding so we don't ride indoors that much up until then and now it's you know it's 50 50 if I text one of my buddies here to go and ride and they're like oh I'm gonna do an indoor ride because I'm actually getting more quality out of it but what was that evolution like in the backgrounds what was the kind of building blocks that made it possible to arrive at that as we almost seen as a finish point I know user iterating all the time and it's continuously improving but there was a basically a workable product there in the pandemic
1: yeah look and I think I think what happened a lot along the way is a lot of cyclists became more and more time-pressed. I think cycling probably doesn't have that um, early to mid-20-year-old growth like like it was back in my day. And a lot of people, let's call it it 35 to 50 age group, they still want to ride. They don't have the time they once had as well. And I think that during the pandemic it did show that. But I think leading into it and the evolution of these platforms – a lot of platforms were around early. There was lots of different things going out and, and there was lots of different things. We all knew that it would make you a better cyclist, but I think the community aspect and then the ability to race on the platforms really kicked it off. Um, and I know, look, I've been, I've probably been 70, 30 probably the last 10 years to be honest with you. Um, I'm more on the trainer than, than on the road. Really, yeah. I just find it easy. Yeah, I just find it easier for me. I can... If I've got an hour, I can I can do a session or I can have an easy ride or I can do whatever instead of I've got to fight the traffic, I've got to get changed, I've got to freeze in the winter, I've got to be hot in the summer, just jump on the bike because I have a permanent setup. Um, and I've used all the different platforms, not just my wish. don't get me wrong. I'm a big fan of, of some of the stuff that these people do. And, and, and let's be honest, we're benefiting from a lot of the great work that Swift have done over the years. They they sort of really kick this um, indoor space along. And there's plenty of platforms like ourselves that are coming along and I suppose benefit, benefiting from they created, I suppose, that product in a way. And then it's up to all of the different platforms to say, well, we want to, we see it going this way, they see it going that way, we're going to offer this, you're going to offer that. And I think there's room, and I've said this on podcasts before, I think there's room for everybody out there. Um, it's just how we want to consume it and what we specialize in and what features we like the best. As long as we're riding our bike, that's all that I'm interested in.
0: I think your attitude is really interesting. It's probably something that subconsciously I held as well, where you've that 70-30 division now between indoor and outdoor cycling. For a long time, if I was doing all my cycling outdoors, I would say maybe 30% of that was actually enjoyable and 70% of that was almost penance. And then I was almost begrudging of the people who just showed up for the 30%, you know, the the weekend heroes where I'm like, you don't get to come out in July on the sunny day on your bike and smile and enjoy it if you haven't been out in December yeah. in the fucking ice and the snow. It's like, yeah. these are my roads. You know, go back, go back to the golf club. It's like, we felt like you had to go through the misery of December and January to earn the pleasure of May, June, and July. And it's a weird mentality.
1: Yeah, and look, I feel, because I shouldn't say this, but I feel that about racing. I hate turning up to racing and there's these guys that are fitted at me that I've never seen before. Like they haven't done their apprenticeship, they haven't, they're, and they're stronger <laughs> than me, right? They have no idea how to race a bike, but they're stronger than me because they've learned through these platforms how to, how to get fit. And, and the information is out there for everybody, the training programs, all of these things are available online and in these in the games. Like, but yeah, I think we've got, we we're counting this morning, we've got 731 workouts in my watch, right? So anything you want to specialize in is on there. There's, there's training programs, there's all of this stuff, right? And so these people can literally go out for a ride on Saturday and Sunday with their mates and do four days on the trainer, turn up to racing and they can have an FTP of four and a half, five watts a kilo. You know, you know how to eat, you know how to train, you know how to do all these things. So all of these years of racing and crashing and, and having to ride 160k as we call handicap races in Australia and all this stuff that you need to have, used to do to ride a grade. And, and you know, if you, if you hadn't done that, you, you'd just be frowned upon. Now some bloke just turns up and smokes everyone. Rod's, you know, a K and a half turn on the front at 600 watts. And you go, well, where did this come from? And I think the indoor platforms have
0: given us that. But you know what? They're different, aren't they? Like they're they're a different skill set. Yeah. Like our friends and even guys who've been on the podcast, you know, like say Jay Vine, who's obviously transitioned well and taken that skill set. But, and Jay won't mind me saying it. Let's call a spade a spade. Jay's skills aren't much of skill set. You know, yeah. he's... He's riding more indoor, and it shows, than the guys who have come up, you know, born on a bike. You know, your Van your Wout van Arts, your Pogacchas. You can see they were almost, they came out with a womb on a bike, and they've been riding it ever since. So there's a different skill set. So, and not even to judge our label that one skill set's better than another, but e-racing does require a different skill set than road racing. Do you think we're going to see a different sort of champion emerge in these e-racing platforms? Because I know the financial rewards are massive now for e-racing as well. Yeah, so we've got near
1: $300,000 a month split equally across men and women. Like that's big money. right? It's big money in any any sense. We've got certain races that have made, I would say, in excess of $150,000 last year racing on, on my wish alone, right? But I've been part of, this, part of this side of it for a few years and, and to answer your question, what we're seeing now is these guys are making numbers very differently. They're making numbers that are higher than than pros. Um, it's becoming a very, very, very different sport. And it, I'm going to be very interested to see if some of these adaptations become into the into what we would call the real world, right? So, I do all of the data. I do. I see everything that goes on in the background, and uh, people are probably going to again kill me for this, but I can tell you, guys are riding forty minutes out of the seat at fifty-five RPM. It's five, five and a half, six watts a kilo, um, because what they're seeing is that there's a less load on the body at lower RPM, higher torque, etc., um, etc., cetera, et cetera, rather than sitting and riding at ninety hundred RPM that the pros are doing up climbs. So these guys are seeing ways to train and to adapt. And a lot of them are doing, you know, they're doing a Sunday race club and killing themselves. They do a race maybe on Tuesday. They'll do a really hard session Thursday, like a really hard, you know, um, VO2 type session and everything else will just be recovery rides to race again on Sunday. So it's, it's, they're training for that hour, hour 20 race. They're not professionals coming off the Tour de France that can make big numbers because they're so fit. Does that make sense? It's, it's a, they're looking at it as a, it's all about the gym.
0: It absolutely does because I can remember coming from racing Irish races and I was winning Cat 1 Irish races, which are typically two and a half to three hours long. And then moving across to Canada and starting to train with Michael Barry, who was riding for Sky at the time and he was riding Grand Tour's and getting the lesson in exactly that, where, you know, maybe I had a five-minute power where I could do 480, 490 watts. I could do that in the first hour, first 90 minutes, first two hours if I was on a good day. Michael could do that after six hours, that and more after six hours. There's a difference when you're riding those, you know, Liege-Bastogne-Liege distances. And you don't need that for esports. So it develops, you know, almost like the difference between a Usain Bolt and a Gabriel Selassie. You know, they're, they're two different athletes. Yeah, and, and we got guys that they're treating it
1: like it's a heavy gym session. One of our top Cat um, 2 riders, a gentleman called Phil Graves, um, he's a genuine five, five and a half, water kilo guy, and he treats the race like it's a heavy gym session. He rides a massive gear, he trains around, all of this sort of stuff, and the difference that he he sees in his riding it, his outdoor is, is nothing like it was once upon a time, but his indoor power is, is just through the roof. Um, and it's, I'm going to try that later on, this mad low cadence. Yeah, I do, yeah I, it doesn't work for me, let me tell you. Um, but there's a real lot of it going on. And these guys, they're just finding different ways to do it. They really are. Like some of the numbers we're seeing, and, and this is public in, in our game, but some of these are six and a half, bordering seven watts a kilo for 10 minutes, these top guys now. Which is world tour figures. Yeah, i go as far to say there's 15 world tour riders in the world that can do that.
0: It's unbelievable, and look, talk to me about what you think the future of this looks like. You know, stuff like uh, looking ahead to, to like later in this year, and not even the too distant future. Like we're going to have the Apple Vision Pro headsets. Do you think there's a, you know, something that's going to happen? AR, virtual reality, and these indoor gaming worlds are going to become more immersive.
1: Yeah, look, I, I I think it it has to go that way. I, I honestly think. And whether this is fortunate or unfortunate, I think in five years' time, majority of us at, at our level, we're not going to race outside anymore. Uh, it's just getting too hard. Um, the numbers are dwindling as it is. Um, certainly in Australia, it's terrible.
0: Yeah, same here in Ireland.
1: Yeah, it's hard to get road closures. It's hard to get people to turn up three-hour drive away to race in the rain.
0: I think that's it. I think that's it, Matt. That's the one that's like... It's hard to justify as, you know, I don't have a family now, but, you know, I'm engaged and it's hard to justify, having justified it for 15 years, getting in the car, driving three hours to a race, and maybe you're not in great shape and you actually get dropped in the first 10K yeah. and then driving three yeah. hours home. It's like, I drove three hours each way for a 20-minute workout? What the fuck? Yeah. And what's even better in Australia, most of our races are point-to-point, point,
1: so you've got to get 150K back to your car. Um, so that doesn't make it any easier either. But look, what we're going to see, I think we're going to see more and more Joe Average racing, and and we do a lot of that. So we've got ladies that race with us that are not even two what-a-kilo riders that make prize money on a Sunday, right? How cool is that? Like that that's awesome, that, that this isn't just for the elite. But I think what we're going to see, we're going to see more racing, we're going to see more training, we're going to see more people specialising in this stuff. But I think where we're going to go is entertainment. I think we have to go down the entertainment path. I think that for, for people like you and I, we'll get on there and we'll suffer through it, whether the platform's good, bad, indifferent, we've got to do our efforts, where we, we still want to do all of these things, right? So you push through it. People like you were saying, your neighbours, like a drink and a smoke, they want to be entertained in their zone too, right? So what does that look like? Does it look like, is it does it turn into Mario Kart at some point? Do, do we have algorithms in the game where you, it matches you and I based on either ability or it throttles your power back to mine? And you've got to race around for 10 minutes and pick up rings and do backflips. Is it VR? I, I don't know where it's going to go, but I really think we're going to see a combination of gaming and sport. I think there's a no-brainer there. I think that the sport itself is going to become a well renowned aspect of cycling. So that we're going to have mountain biking, we have road cycling, and this is going to become standalone for the simple reasons we're all going to do it at some point in the future right? So, so I think those things are definitely going to happen. Um, but I think the entertainment factor, um, I think that's where we've still got a bit to go. I, I've said to a few people over the years that we went, as we spoke about riding rollers into an A trainer, into some trainer road staff, into sort of that Zwift group ride type mentality. That's all stuff's been around 10 years now. People are getting even bored with those things. So what's next? How do we keep them engaged? That's, that's what we're looking at.
0: Yeah, I think it's going to be a combination of hardware and software. And we have seen this. I call it the Netflixification of cycling. I had a coach back in the day and, you know, you'd open up your, it was an Excel sheet back in the day I used to get for training. And you'd open up this Excel sheet back in the day and it'd be six hours look over hedges. Five hours look over hedges. Six hours look over hedges. And that was just his way of saying, you're just going out and riding. You're just riding zone two. But if you gave that to someone, you know, two years later, five years later, you had this evolution where people had to be entertained in their sessions. And that came initially in the form of, okay, we'll do these cadence efforts in the middle of the session. Change your hand position from your hoods to your drops, you know, add a zone three effort in in the middle. It was all nonsense. It was all ways of disguising your zone two session as something else. And we're seeing just that constant evolution of this into the gaming platforms now where, yeah, there's a dual purpose in these. Yes, you want people to get the physiological adaptation and get stronger, but you also don't want them to turn off the game after two minutes either. So they start to become more and more entertaining to engage us. And so I see it as a hardware and software in tandem coming together to create this, you know, hopefully quite immersive experience. Yeah, I, I think that's definitely where it's going to go. It's I think that it still
1: lacks a little bit in in communication. I think it's a little bit still difficult to communicate with your friends. I think that's something we really need to work on. Um,
0: typing's hard when you're sweaty hands and you're on the limit. yeah and
1: there's a microphone and and whatever but i think as these things adapt like you know these earpods i've got in now and we've got vr and and i can have rides with my mates and we can talk the same rubbish we would have talked out on the road it's like i i train with a thing called an air hub right um out on the road so that it slows me down so i can ride with my wife or ride with people that maybe not quite as strong as me but i can do all that stuff indoors now and i can ride with different people and we can have the same chats I just see it becoming bigger and bigger and bigger. I really do.
0: Matt, thank you very much for your time. I think it's an interesting evolution and you're definitely at the forefront of it. So thanks for what you guys do and thanks for sharing your time so kindly today.
1: Yeah, no worries. Thank you very much for, for having us. Great podcast. And yeah, if you name me again, give me a call. Thanks very much.